and Pennsylvania and New York and Michigan and all of America. And I am not going to let companies move to other countries firing their employees along the way without consequence. Not going to happen anymore. We will be a country of generosity and warmth. I am with you, I will fight for you, and I will win for you. We will make America strong again. We will make America proud again. We will make America safe again. hero no doubt no doubt about it um today um if you're new to the channel i am red pill or i'm melissa you can call me either one and we uh, explore what's going on in the light of god's word um and pew posts and we look at you know the truth that is coming out and um more and more as we just this is the day of great awakening what that means from the bible is that that we're all feeling it, that we just have to know what's going on. And we really just never, maybe we felt like this for a little while, but not like this and that we just can't stop. And we have to tell people what we learn and, and, and we're all feeling this all over the world. It's really amazing. And then the Lord, and my channel is really about not really deciphering Q posts as specifically as much as it is seeing it in the light of God's word, because the Lord has promised this for thousands of years and it's so important that we know that because otherwise you get tangled up oh look at the bar investing you know all the bar testimony and you get all worried about this and that and when you realize this is the lord this is the beginning of this brand new day that has been promised we've been waiting on it we didn't know exactly what it's gonna look like but we're going to win there's no doubt about it there's no two ways about it um, for years, you know, the Lord had told us that there would be many, many difficult days and we would lose, 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 but then there would be a day when we would win, 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 and that's where we are. It really, truly is. If you uh, are new to the channel, I hope you'll join us and subscribe. We pray every time, and that is the key because these are spiritual forces, as Q has very clearly told us. This is a spiritual battle, and we have to fight in the spiritual battle, in the in the spiritual realm, and, and pray. So I wanted to, oh, I've got so many great things to share with you today and about who President Trump is and and to see this is huge. This is bigger than what we can imagine. It really is, as Q has said, biggest. And um, I'm, I'm going to have to go fast. Um, so I'm just going to skim this, the surface, but um, at least this will get, and I'll have all the links below so that you can go in and research this for yourself if you are interested, which I think you will be. All right, so this is my YouTube, my, my Twitter. So when I'm not able to make a video, I post 
on my Twitter. And I did, uh, this is my book that came out. Don't be afraid. If you're afraid of the Battle of Armageddon, do not. It's where we're taking down the beast. I've also got one, a new one that I just put out. It's the same one, but not as scary of a, of a cover. It's called the uh, QAnon and a Thousand Years of Peace. So um, I put it on there as absolutely cheaply as possible that, that for us to be able to have this. But we're mostly trying to get this the information out. How can, how and we get the truth out because the, we've been scared to pieces so much by all these forces. And I put this out today. I thought you guys would like this. I thought you guys would. Like they used to love Trump, didn't they? Now they hate him. What are they guilty of? What are they guilty of? Something's fishy, right? Everybody should be like, mm, I don't believe it. All right, so here we go. Um, I want this is um, I, okay. I don't normally show little kid videos, but I can't find another one that's better. Okay. So the history, the backstory of this stone, I'm going to talk about this amazing stone that you may have never even heard of, but you need to hear about it because this is huge. Okay. It's basically the coronation stone and it's called the, um, even I heard, um, uh, Yahweh's stone. It's in other words, God's stone. And, it's, it's been passed down from generation to generation. Actually, England looked at all their wealth and all the things that they, that they have acquired and that they have possession of, and they said this was their number one possession. Number one. And it's just a block of stone. So let's find out what's the story about this. Okay, I know this is a kid's video, but um, all right, so this is Jacob and his mom. Okay, so Jacob's brother was Esau. Esau was a bad dude. Jacob wants the blessing of God. He wants the blessing that had come from his grandfather and his father to flow through him. And so Esau's ticked off because he got the blessing. And Esau believed it deserved, he deserved it. I'm not going to go into that whole story. But the bottom line, Esau got everything he wanted. He got cattle and sheep and all the rest of it. He got all the stuff. The stuff. But Jacob wanted the blessing of God. Okay, so in this little story, you know, he's leaving because Esau is going to destroy him. He's going to kill him. And so he's got to leave. And he's gone from his family for years and years and years. But even Abraham in the book of Joshua says that he wants uh, Jacob to receive the blessing. Okay, even though he was the younger and he did receive it. So interesting. That happens actually a lot of times. All right, so I'm just going to show you just a little bit about what's happened in this story this is the story of Jacob's Ladder, if you haven't heard that. Rebecca waved to Jacob, tears streaming down her cheeks. Jacob traveled for several days, walking during the day and sleeping by the roadside at night. One day, he was feeling very tired and decided to rest for some time. This looks like a good place to sleep for a while. I will continue my journey after I am rested. Jacob saw a large stone nearby on which he lay his head and fell asleep. And what a dream he had. He saw a very, very long stairway which started from the ground and reached up to heaven. There were angels going up and down the stairs. And there, at the very top, was God. And then God spoke to Jacob. Jacob, this land shall belong to you and to your descendants. Take good care of it. When Jacob woke up, 
he couldn't believe that God had actually spoken to him. My Lord has spoken to me. My Lord has spoken to me. I feel so blessed. This place shall be called Bethel, the house of the Lord. This stone shall be the altar in this house of worship. Jacob then again continued on his journey. Okay, so it didn't tell in the story that he actually poured what little oil. Remember I told you that a couple weeks ago, if you, if you saw that video. Um, he poured what little oil he had onto this stone. So I never really understood the significance of this until now. Until now, I knew it was a great story, and I, I probably, I think in the back of my mind, I thought, well, I might be missing something here. Okay, but this stone that he's he's sleeping on, it, it's basically the stone on which the Lord will, uh, the, the the blessings of God will ascend and descend, there, and, and God will interact with the world through this stone. And you're going to see here how he did that. Now, he couldn't carry it. It's like 300 pounds 400 pounds is really big so he couldn't carry it but later on when he when he had his family built up he came back and got this thing nobody's gonna go and get that stone because you know it was really gonna be hard to pick up but he knew when he went back there he was going to get the stone and uh he carried it with them from then on okay so all right so that was his they call it jacob's pillar they also call it his pillow right like pillar pillar and pillow all right, so that's him sleeping on there and having this vision. And that he's called it Beth El, which is Beth is house and El is the Lord. Beth El, so the house of the Lord. So he is, you know, this is, this is the doorway to heaven. In other words, now he's taken this stone. That is his connection to heaven, to, to the Lord, okay? Now, so there he is pouring the oil on the stone. What little oil he had, he poured on the stone, and um, as a as a as an anointing it and uh, as a, as a blessing for that stone. That's not it's not a typical stone. Okay, so fast forward. Obviously, it got passed from him to his son Joseph. They, all this time, they're in Egypt. Now, fast forward to Moses, and he's bringing the people out of the the land of Egypt. And they need water. And here is a picture. I know I showed some of you this on the on the video uh, a few weeks ago. But there's the water. Remember, I showed you the water coming out of the rock. I thought it was just any old rock, but it was not. It was this stone. It was this Jacob's pillar, Jacob's pillow, the stone of destiny. The stone later on is going to be the stone of scone. All right, so. Uh, water is not just coming out of the ground, it's coming out of this rock. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 and 4, all of them ate the same spiritual food and all of them drank the same spiritual water, for they drank from the spiritual rock that traveled with them, and that rock was Christ. That was him with them, symbolically in this rock. Okay, and when Moses actually hit this rock, it says that uh, the Lord would stand. The Lord was actually standing on the rock. Actually, let me pause it. I'm going to go get that verse for you real quick before I forget. Well, I didn't find the place where it says that, but it somewhere it says that he, the Lord Jesus, stood on that rock, and it was a symbol of him uh, being struck when he was crucified, um, and that his blood poured forth for the cleansing of our sins, right? And so he did it with the 
water poured forth out of this rock. I mean, it wasn't coming out of the ground. It was coming out of the rock and enough for all these people. I mean, it was absolutely miraculous. And so um, there's a, there's another beautiful passage that talks about the Israel. This, this is the rock of Israel and that Israel means married. And um, that he's, this is our husband. This is the one who, who, is faithful to us and, and takes care of us and, and is you know, good to us and provides for us. And so it's, it's not a matter of um, uh, just a, just any old rock and it's not coming out of the ground. It's, it's, this is the rock that saved them through all their days in the desert. Um, so it's just really huge. So this is what it looks like now. Um, now it didn't at the time. Uh, well, when, Obviously, when Jacob first got it, it didn't have these rings in it, but they put the ring so they could carry it on a pole, and you can see that it's been um, uh, chafed, and, and it's been uh, a, a, you know, a little divot put into the middle of it. That's the that's how you know the real one. I'll show you one that's actually a fake here in a little bit. All right, so then later on, the Amalekites came to fight them, and um, so Moses held up his rod. I was telling you about this rod which i can't go into on this video but how the lord used this rod in a great way to save them uh for years and years and years and even i believe it's it's around even today and um so moses again sits on a rock why are they always talking about this rock he said that's the same rock that he's sitting on isn't that something you guys so he's sitting on this rock and they're holding up his arms as long as they he holds up his they hold up his arms, his arms get tired through the battle. Uh, they, they win the battle. Okay. So that is so cool. And then at the end, they, let me see if I can find, okay, that's another one. But um, at the end of the battle, they put a banner and this is the banner that they put, which is basic, basically Aleph Tav. And it's uh, the letter A and the letter T. And they, they put those there as it's a uh, symbolic for I am the great I am, and that the Lord saved them. It was the Lord that, that worked through them. That yes, he, they're, they're down there fighting, but they're sitting on the stone. They're holding up God's rod. They recognize the Lord is the only one who gives us victory in any battle, in any battle. So that's why we pray. That's why we're here to pray. All right, so the next one, you fast forward, you go, they go into, fast forward, you're like a thousand years, whatever, not quite that much, but um, um the big jump in time, you see Solomon, and look at this. He sat upon the throne of Yahweh. If we look at there. That's the same stone. This is the coronation stone. All the kings would be crowned on, sitting on this stone, okay? This is the throne of Yahweh as king in place of David, his father. His David had died. He'd been king for a long time. I mean, he prospered and all Israel obeyed him. So there you go. So it was the first was Saul and then was David and then was Solomon. And then you go, you go on down and, and then that's when the kingdoms separate at that point. You've got Judah in the south and the 10 tribes in the north. Okay. But um, they have the stone in the southern kingdom. And so they're being um, coronated on the stone. Now you see fast forward. They had a lot of bad kings, but now they have a good king, Joash. He's young and um, not beset with uh, so much evil that, you know, takes us over as we get older, unless we really turn, you know, keep our lives you know, close to the Lord. And so then 
Um, they crown him, and he's actually said he's standing on the stone. Okay, so here is the story of what it actually says. In the, uh, interestingly, in this reading is, I'm sorry, interesting in this reading is that when Joash was crowned, he stood by his pillar in Second Chronicles 23, 13. Why are they always talking about this pillar? It's the, the Jacob's pillar. Second Kings 11, 14 actually says a pillar. Israel's kings, according to custom, Second Kings 11, 14, were crowned in a ceremony involving a pillar. This pillar was apparently a mat a standing stone. It's interesting to note that the Britain sovereigns are also crowned in a ceremony involving a pillar. Hmm. You see where I'm going with this? Jacob's stone. The Hebrew in these passages is even more interesting for it literally says the king stood upon his pillar. He stood upon his pillar. Britain's monarchs are also crowned upon a pillar stone sitting upon it. So, We'll talk about that here more in just a little bit, but yeah, so that is, and here it is in Second Kings. This is actually um, a Hebrew version. Let me see if I can find out the name of this version in case you want to go to BibleGateway.com and see this Melachem, uh, whatever, uh, Orthodox Jewish Bible. Okay, OJB. All right, so verse 14 of Second Kings chapter 11. It says, and when she looked, this is his grandmother. Uh, because she didn't know where he was. She thought that he was, they, that he, she'd killed all her grandchildren. What a creep, right? And when she looked, um, Hamalech stood at Hamud, the pillar, according to Mishpat, and the ceremony, the trumpets beside Hamalech. So in other words, he's being crowned the king by the pillar. And she know. and, and what's so cool is that when it's the rightful heir to the throne when it's the blessed heir it water doesn't pour forth it actually makes a sound it's, it says that person's name how cool is that how cool is that all right so then in, in uh, this other version the, the ojb version no, no wyc version and she saw the king standing on the throne he was standing on the throne this is one of the versions it it interprets it correctly she was he was standing on the throne Hmm, look at that. So that's what they would do. Now, fast forward. To now we've had good king and bad king, bad king, bad king, like I was saying the other day. And now they've had so many bad ones. It's it's too late. It's too late, and they're going to have to be punished because this is just so bad. And um, so this is a picture of Jeremiah. This is what you always think of. And he would, uh, the Lord would have him do like little skits for the people. And at one point he said, okay, just put on your, have on your undergarments and show the people that this is when you're going to be, you're going to be stripped bare. You're going to have nothing and you're going to be hauled off to, to Babylon as slaves. And so he was, he's also called the weeping prophet. He wrote the book of lamentations because he was just lamenting over Jerusalem. The people would not listen and do what he told them to do. Um, here's a, also a video uh, Jeremiah. Now, he, Patrick Dempsey looks much more handsome than what you think of as Jeremiah, but it was it's really a, a good movie, so I would encourage you to write, uh, to watch that movie by Patrick Dempsey of Jeremiah. I think you would, uh, it would help you to see more about him, but yeah, just like Jeremiah said, they would be taken captive into Babylon, so you see Jerusalem is burning, Nebuchadnezzar's come, and he's hauling all these people away. Some people were left, but um, you know, just a, just a remnant was left. And now what's, you know, as, as you, many of you have seen my video on Ark of the Covenant that he hid underneath 
uh, in the caves underneath the temple and actually um, up the hill a little bit and that turned out to be right under where our Lord Jesus was crucified and uh, that the blood, uh, his blood poured out and ended up on the Ark of the Covenant. But the earthquake shook and the, and the opened and the, the blood went down and still no one knew until like 50 years ago when Ron Wyatt found the Ark of the Covenant that Jeremiah hid at this time, okay? So I know I'm going very quickly, but um, so now they also hid. Okay, let me tell you what happened next. When, they, when, they, when they're leaving, Zedekiah was the king and he would not... Do what Jeremiah said. He said, you're going to be killed if you don't. If you will just go ahead and turn yourself in to Nebuchadnezzar, you will live. He will, he will not kill you. But, you know, if you've got to do it now. But he didn't. Zedekiah did not. And so the next thing that happened, this is sad, but yeah, this is Zedekiah right here. Well, King Nebuchadnezzar is taking and killing his sons right before his very eyes. And then they actually gouge out. Zedekiah's eyes, gouge his eyes out, and so that's the last thing he ever sees, is his sons being killed. Thankfully, Jeremiah has hidden away Zedekiah's two daughters. Now, Nebuchadnezzar never would have thought that his daughters could become queens in, in the place of the sons, but they can. According to God's word, they can. If there's not a, a, a male heir, uh, then, the, then the females can take over. That's from, that's from back in the time of Judah. Um, uh, Judah the man, okay, not the county or the, 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 the district. All right, so that's what's happening now. They've left. Zedekiah actually lives, but he uh, ends up being hauled to Babylon. His sons are dead, but now um, uh, his two daughters, Tia Tethi, are uh, uh, and and um, Stroka, Stroka, um, Skota, Skota are alive, but we'll talk about that here in a minute. So this is what's happening. They're being taken into captivity now. If you look at Judah down here, the southern tribe, there's the two tribes in the south. They've been taken off into Babylon. Okay, that's where Nebuchadnezzar was. That's where the story of Daniel took place, and and he was miraculously turned that society around. Uh, because he, and that's what we need to do is turn our society around just like Daniel did. And the, and the story of Esther and, and the, you know, the three Hebrew children going into the fiery furnace that happened there. And because of their faith and God showed up then they began to realize, Hey, there, these people have the true and living God. Okay. And at the end, uh, the King told everyone they had to worship the God of, of, um, Daniel, which is so cool. So, but yeah, so at this point, it's not necessarily that happy. Uh, they're being hauled away into Babylon and with this, the clothes on their backs. Now you've got the northern tribes a couple of hundred years before, because this is like 580 uh, BC before Christ, that the, the, the Judah went off into captivity. That um, the northern tribes went in like 780 BC, so a couple of hundred years before. I'm sniffling. Anyway, so they are uh, all throughout this area. Now, notice here the Caspian Sea and the Black Sea. So they're basically down here in between these two seas. And what the Assyrians do is they use them as a buffer zone. They use the the uh, the these 10 tribes of Israel to say, you guys you know, 
be right there so that you know we will if the, if the marauding bandits come they will get you first and we'll be safe at least we'll hear about it before you, uh, you know we get hurt so that's what was happening when they were taking off in taking off into Syria okay um so I've got I want to tell you first about what happened with the daughters okay the daughters of um of uh, of Zedekiah. So this is in Jeremiah 43:3. But Baruch, the son of Neriah, setteth thee on against us to deliver, for to deliver us into the hand of the Chaldeans that they might put us to death and carry us away captives into Babylon. Okay, let me back up. Jeremiah told them, you need to stay in Judah. The Lord has said, stay in Judah and you'll be safe. And they're like, no, no, we've got to get out of here. We've got to go to Egypt. He says, this is what the Lord says. He told me to tell you. <laughs> he told me to tell you this. And you've got to listen and do what he says. And they, they wouldn't believe, even though they'd just been through this and he had said this is what's going to happen and exactly it happened. They still won't believe what Jeremiah said. So, you know, it's not human reasoning. It's really the spirit of God. We, we are shut up to the spirit of God to reveal truth to us and to help us to, to discern what's the right way to go. So let's just keep praying or speak to us so that we know the right decisions, the right thing to do in the battle uh, that we're fighting of Armageddon. So they, um, so he say, no, no. So Johanan, the son of Korea and all the captains of the forces and all the people obeyed not the voice of the Lord to, do, to dwell in the land of Judah, to stay right there, stay put. No, we're not going to do it. But Johanan, and the son, the son of Korea and all the captains of the forces took all the remnant of Judah that were returned from all the nations, whether wherever, wherever they had been driven to dwell in the land of Judah, even men and women and children and the king's daughters, Tia, Tephi, and Scota, and every person that Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, had left with Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, and Jeremiah, the prophet, and Baruch, the son of Neriah. They took them, everyone, and they, so they came into the land of Egypt, for they obeyed not the voice of the Lord, and they came even to Tan, Tanis, I think they called that actually Tanis, instead of Tathanese, whatever it is, it's, I think they call it Tanis. So you might, I'm going to put this link here if you want to watch this video to give you more information about King Zedekiah and his, and the daughters and what ended up happening to them. There's a really good video, uh, I think that was a good one, you know. You could always have to listen very uh, subjectively and really carefully uh, to see if it's what is good. You just, you know, take the meat, throw out the bones, right? So all of them were taken off in, they said, come with us to Egypt. So, you know, Jeremiah ended up going over there, you know, because they're taking the king's daughter. He's going to stay with the king's daughters. He's going to stay with them. Okay, so that's what happened next. Let me see if I can scoot over a little bit. All right, so here is, this is Tia Teffy. All right, so a couple of years later, let me see if I can, uh, let's see if I can get back to, the, there's so much to tell. It's like, how, where do I even start on all this? Um, all right, here I am on jahtruth.net. Um, and I'll put this link below. All right, so Baruch, Jeremiah's scribe, then came and told them that the coast was clear, so they'd been hiding underneath uh, uh, the temple. 
in these caves, okay? And so then Baruch came and said, okay, you can come out now because they're all gone, okay? Um, he came and told them the coast was clear. So Jeremiah took Tiatefi and God's treasures and went first to Mizpah and then to Tanis in Egypt for safety. There they stayed in a palace that was given to Tiatefi. Let me make this a little bit bigger for you if I can. Maybe not. Um, by Pharaoh, Hophra, after he adopted her as his own daughter. The palace, so you might hear that, oh, well, he knows he's the, Tiatefi is the daughter of, a, of a, an Egyptian. Well, he adopted her, okay, but he, she was originally Zedekiah's daughter, okay? Um, the palace, although now is in ruins, Tel Defna is still known today as the, whatever, the palace of the daughter of Judah, just as she prophesied in her book it would be. The royal party stayed at Tanis for some time until Jeremiah was warned by God that Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon was also being sent by him to invade Egypt and that they must leave. Now, since they're taking the Ark of God, um, I I really, I still believe that the Ark of, Ark of the Covenant is, un, is hidden under where our Lord Jesus was crucified. I do believe that there were things that were in the ark that were taken, as in the, 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 the man, because this, this, there were certain things that Ron Wyatt did not find in the, in the cave, and that is the, the rod that budded. He didn't find the manna, a bowl of manna. Um, so certain things, I think he took a box, but I don't think it was the, the, the original the ark of the covenant. Okay, so he did take a box of, of, uh, of, of artifacts with them, as well as the stone, okay? Um, Jeremiah's group left Tannis on a moonless, cloudy night, sailing on a ship for Tyre, of Tyre, piloted by a Danite, okay, like the Dan, tribe of Dan, okay, called Buki, son of Halek, who was accompanied by his son, Bodan, uh, first um, to Carthage, where they arrived three weeks later, but did not disembark. At sunset, a strong hot wind blew from the desert, driving them north and tearing their sails. On the seventh day, they entered a little bay by the mouth of an unknown river that ran from east to west, where they dropped anchor. Um, all right, so this, so that they ended up in in Egypt for a good while. Okay, but now they've now they've left and they're going uh, to they're heading north. Okay, so now and a let me back up another time. This is the second group of royalty that is going to be in the, in the, um, uh, what I call the British Isles. Okay. The second group. And so the first group had been actually at the first, at the time of the first exodus from Egypt. Okay. So let's see what happens with her when she gets to Egypt, because she, there are two lines from David. One is called, uh, Zara and uh, let's see the other one is called she's from the Ferez Ferez okay so Eokid was okay oh there's so much to tell you I was like I don't even know what to what to tell you all right so Eokid was from the Zara the red hand you see on their flag they have this red hand okay He's from the Red Hand branch, and Tiatefi was from the line of David of the Pharez, the Pharez branch of Judah. Okay, so that's where we get the crown on the top. And their marriage union sealed the breach caused centuries early when Judah's twin sons had been born. This marriage union, look at that, look at how the Lord worked it out, that took place 
at Rathnari, the Fort of the Kings, at Tara in Royal Meath, is symbolized on the Ulster flag. The red hand is Zara, mounted upon the Star of David under the single royal crown, symbolizing the union of the two royal lines that sprang from Judah. And this is what the Lord said, you would always have someone on the throne. This was his the, the blessing that he got. And so you know, all these years, they had someone on the throne in in Jerusalem, and they had someone on, on the throne in the British Isles, and now they're married. And so the, this, this line is going through them, all right? I want to tell you one other quick thing that happened with the people of Is, uh, the lost tribes of Israel, because I don't think I had told you this, and it's, it's important while we're here. Right here, the 10 tribe house of Israel had been slaves in Assyria since 722 BC and therefore had learned to speak Assyrian, which is why there are Germanic words, Assyrian Germanic words in the English and other Northern European languages today. That is a very good way to recognize if these, if this is true history. When you see people having the same words, where do they come from, right? It wasn't just someone passing by. It's because they've lived together and they've, uh, you know, uh, you know, work together for over a long period of time, okay? Um, so this is a really very, very strong, strong evidence that this is true. They also lost their Sabbath sign that told them who they were, having changed their Sabbath day from the true Sabbath, which is the Saturday, to the Assyrian and Babylonian sun worship religions, worship of Sunday. So they'd begun to lose their true history. So these people, many of these people who had moved here were Israelites, but... Uh, they ended up moving, I'll show you the picture, they ended up moving after they were no longer slaves, these lost tribes, the migration of the lost tribes, they ended up moving from this in between the Caspian Sea and the Black Sea, they ended up moving over to Northern Europe, into Norway and Finland and Sweden, into Germany, and little by little moving over. You know, they're lost only in the sense that they don't know who they are they don't necessarily know okay so this the uh the um uh jeremiah brought tia teffy all the way around here and now she started in ireland i'm going to show you that picture these are the regions of ireland the four different regions and you can see that they still recognize that their regions are uh identified by these ancient symbols the, the harp of david King David and the the uh, the hand of uh, Harriman, right? The red hand from the Zara Zara tribe and Tia from the Ferris uh, tribe with the red cross. So isn't that something? So there, that's that is a current picture of Ireland with their symbols for each of their four regions. Now this is the book called The Missing Links discovered in Assyrian tablets. This wonderful man, Raymond Capt, um, has written this book. I ordered it, and I'm waiting for it to come in, but it's, it talks about 23,000 clay cuneiform tablets, and they've done these excavations, and there's no doubt about it, of the, the people of the lost tribes of Israel, where they went, and he explains it all in this book, so you might get that. I've heard several people say, you've got to have this book, and I, but I found a video of this man speaking, Raymond E. Raymond Capt, and you could tell this man is so uh, so smart, and he's he has such great information. So I I really encourage you to listen just to a little bit of it and see what you what you think. 
And later, a Syrian report states, in the second year of Urshahed the king, now this is about 679 B.C., the Gimra, as Israelites were then called, rose in rebellion under their leader, Tuespa. We don't know if Tuespa was a woman or a man at this stage. They fled westward. Now the Greeks reported these same activities. They called the Gimera Kimeroi in their records. Now that name is translated into English as Kimerians. Now the branch of Israelites, now known as Kimerians, moved out of Major Minor around and sometimes across the Black Sea, settling in the Crimea and the Carpathian regions west of the Black Sea. We find this called in Second Ezra's Arsereth, or Mountains of Sereth. Now later when Babylon conquered the Assyrian Empire, this is about see, 612 B.C., they then invaded that part of Media where the Israelites, or Gimera, had that had not escaped, were still there, and settled. And that, of course, drove the Gimera out of their area, someone moving up through the uh, Caucasus, uh, through the, what we call today the Pass of Israel. I should say that some historians refer to that as the Pass of Israel. Others moved around the uh, east of the Caspian Sea and became known as Iskuzi, a name very easily derived from Isaac. Then these tablets that allow us to learn these things really provide a very valuable archaeological clue, don't they? Yes, they do. There's another major clue to tracing the lost tribes of Israel. is found on the side of a hill in northern Persia. It's in inscribed writings about 300 feet above the base of the mountain, the hill. Now, the inscriptions were actually carved in Akkadian, Elamite, and Old Persian languages. All three told the same story. The inscriptions show that the Babylonian name Gimera was written Saka on the Persian inscription, proving that the Gimera and the Saka were the same people. Now, the Greeks called these Scythians, I should say they called the Saka, Scythians in all their records. This is the first mention of the word Scythian. It's also interesting to note that the various names Gimera are called all have the same root, S-K, as Isaac. Now, before the tribe went into exile, they called themselves the House of Isaac. You can find this in the Bible in Amos 4, verses 7 and 16, I believe. Archaeology has not only identified these Scythians as members of the lost tribes of Israel, but for the first time provided us with realistic, lifelike pictures of what the ancient Hebrews people look like. Now, unlike the stylized pictures we see the Egyptians made and formalized or stylized stone carvings made by the Babylonians and Persians, excavated from Scythian tombs north of Caucasus are found skillfully made gold work showing the everyday life of the Scythians. Here are two Scythian horsemen are astride their horses. Two Scythians here are fighting back to back using bows and arrows. Now this reminds us of the little tribe of Benjamin that had, according to the Bible, 280,000 men of valor that bore shields and drew the bow. Now to continue tracing the Israelites, under pressure from the Medes and the Persians, the Scythians, now this is the eastern branch of the Israelites, they migrated north of the Black Sea, coming into collision with the Cimmerians. Now the Cimmerians, I consider them the western branch of the Israelites. These people had settled in the Carpathian regions. Now, the kinship lost during the passing centuries, ensuing battles, ended with the Cimmerians being pushed out of that area, and they moved, moved westward. The Cimmerians then broke into two major groups, the larger part migrating up the Danube River Valley, arriving at its source in South Germany between 600 and 100 B.C. 
Now, Roman historians, they call these people Celts. This is the first mention now of the word Celt. A small group moved into the sparsely inhabited regions of the Baltic, but the Romans called them by the abbreviated name of Cimbri. Now, between the 4th and 1st centuries B.C., the Sarmatians, now these are a mixed non-Israelitish people, we believe partly Iranian, were pushing westward. They finally moved into the area of the then prosperous Scythian nation. Continuing warfare then drove the Scythians out of their land, as they had done the Cimmerians, and the majority northward toward the Baltic areas. Now, by the end of the 2nd century B.C., we find only two small pockets of Scythians left on the shores of the Black Sea. Now, the Scythians, in turn, pushed the Cimbri westward to Jutland and the coast of Holland. Now, during this period of time, the Celts were expanding in all directions, many of them pouring into Britain to form the bedrock of the British race. About uh, 3000 B.C., uh, some of the Celts invaded Italy and sacked Rome. Others migrated back into Asia Minor, but they, they were called Galatians by the Greeks. We now know that Paul's letters to the Galatians were to his kinsmen Israelites, that is, descendants of the earlier Galatians, although called Gentiles by the modern Bible translators. You know, that really helps to clear up to a degree, or major degree, this term Gentile. A lot of people have a lot of problems with it, mm -hmm. but the word itself is ethnos, and it means nations. That's right. And what you're talking about here are nations, and of course God told Abraham, you see, it was going to form a multitude of nations. Those nations would definitely be Israelites. Now, as the Sarmatians occupied Scythia in South Russia, there was a tendency to confuse them with the Sarmatians, because people are usually identified by the name of the land they live in. Now, the Romans, they solved the problem. They introduced the word Germans for Scythians. Now, the word uh, genuine, or genuous, uh, genuine, I should say, is Germanus or Germani. That's the Latin word for genuine. So in all the Roman records, except for a few outland areas, they dropped the name Scythian in all the Roman records. They applied the word Sarmatians or Germans. Now, from that, well, I guess you get, you get the picture. German. Oh, it's fascinating, yes. Now, don't think for a minute we're talking about the German nation today. Right. The Cimbri uh, were eventually driven out of Northwest Europe. One group migrated to Italy, were nearly all wiped out by the Romans. One group made their way back into Spain to be known as Ibrius. Ibrius is the Gaelic name for Hebrews. And eventually, many of those migrated into uh, the Ireland as Scots. They named the island Hibernia, that early name for Ireland, a name that still exists. One group crossed the English Channel into northern Britain to form the, I should say, form the roots of the nation of the Picts. Now, during the succeeding centuries, the Scythian Germanic peoples broke into many divisions, possibly in some instances into their original Israel tribal families, like the Angles, Saxons, Jutes, Danes, and Vikings, to name just a few. Now, between 450 and 600 A.D., some of the Angles and Saxons moved into Britain as Anglo-Saxons. The Celtic Scots, for the most part, moved into northern Britain and established the nation of Scotland. Although some settled in northern Wales, the Isles of Man, the Scilly Islands. Now many Germanic tribes poured into the land south, that is, after the Celts began to move out and vacate the land. These Germanic tribes established the Gothic nations, the Vandals, Lombards, Franks, Burgundians, Visigoths, Ostrogoths. 
these Scythian Germanic people or tribes formed the modern German, Swiss, French, Italian, Spanish, and Portuguese nations of the day. Although there has been over the centuries an infusion of non-Israel blood in these nations. The northern Scythian Israelites that had settled in Scandinavia, we read of them in history, raiding and establishing colonies in Western Europe, Britain, and Ireland. One group settled in France became known as Normans, who later forced their way into England under William the Conqueror in 1066. What happened to the lost tribes of Israel? You now know the answer. They were never really lost. They only lost their identity as they migrated over the centuries westward. This is a book about, it's called the Book of Pethi. Um, and uh, let's see, I'll read a little bit of it. It has been over a century since, he, since Goodchild first published his translation of the original Gaelic of the legend of Queen Tethy. Now, so you've got to be careful because some of the things may not be accurate if it's a legend. But um, so we just, everything, we're just piecing it all together. Uh, it's been sung by bards of Ireland for centuries. In the annals and legends of Ireland, we find the traditions of the origins of the Irish people and the ancient Irish kings. The rich history speaks of the early settlement of Ireland by a group called the tribe of Dan. So these people are moving over there, just like it's saying, these tribes, why is everything called Dan? Dan this and Dan that. Look at this. Look at this. In Ireland today, we find their customary evidence, the places of their names, such as Dan's Lau, Dan Sour, Dan Monism, Dan, Dan Dalky, Dan Drum, uh, Dun Drum, <laughs> Don Eagle, Don Eagle City, Don Glow, London, I mean, just on and on and on, okay? So this is where these people, they named their city after themselves, right? So uh, the beard in this folklore is the tale of Jeremiah the prophet, Princess Tephi, and Baruch, a scribe. You guys, we were just talking about, they landed in Ireland about the time the destruction of Jerusalem took place, bearing with them a great chest and a stone wrapped on a banner. The princess married Zerahite king, Eokid, whatever, Sorry, whatever his name is, uh, or Harriman. You can call him the horseman, right? Horseman of all Ireland. And their, their son was Ariel. This Tephi was the daughter of the king of Jerusalem, whom Jeremiah went forth to plant in Ireland after rooting out and destruction of Zedekiah, the king of Jerusalem in 588 BC. We find in the official lineage of the royal house of Britain that the house of Stuart, keep that in mind, Stuart, are the descendants of Teotalfi and her husband, Okay, the Harriman, the horseman, okay, the Harriman. All right, so isn't this amazing, you guys? This is really, this is something. This is amazing. All right, so this is what the Lord told Jeremiah. It was his ministry. Poor guy, the guy over here who had no clothes on, right? I mean, like, oh, poor Jeremiah. Look at what his job is. The Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord, I'm going to try to make this bigger. Sorry, this is so big, little. Okay, here, that's a little bit bigger, huh? Uh, the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. I put my words in your mouth. And he was faithful. He spoke this word even though people didn't like it. I've told you all that so many times before. He was so faithful. And uh, let's just pray, Lord, help us to be faithful, to speak the word, even if people don't like it. I've got the same thing going on in my world right now, but. Oh, well, see, I have set that I have this day set thee over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down and to destroy and to throw down, to plant and to, 
it's billed in the client. Okay, so what's happening is he's having to tear down this whole, uh, all this evil stuff that had been going on in Jerusalem. Okay, and uh, where was it? Where was the picture? Okay, so he's tearing this down. And Nebuchadnezzar's actually tearing it down, but he's part of it saying, this is, we can't put up with this. He tried so hard to get them to turn back. And of course, the enemy attacks those who are, who are standing up for righteousness. Hello, hello, where the word is being sp- uh, spoken in truth, and he's going to attack. That's just what he does. So uh, that's why the Lord says, okay, I'm going to have to just tear this one down and start over. Okay. And that's exactly what he did. So he's planting Tia Tefi. He's planting Tia Tefi in, uh, now in the British Isles with horseman, <laughs> Harriman. Okay. EOK, whatever his name is. So that was his, that was, uh, uh I'll post this uh, link in the, in the description below if you want to read this one too. But this is what the Lord told him he would have, you know, this job that he would have to do to, to plant and to build. Okay. And, but we must not forget that God promised to his servant that one of David's seed would always sit upon that throne of Israel, even until Shiloh, Jesus Christ, comes. Isn't that the promise? You've heard that promise before, right? Thus we're given in the same verse of that throne being rooted out a message that it was Jeremiah's duty, chosen duty, to build and to plant, and to, to plant that throne of Israel. All right, so here we go. Um, 